fire but not burning up with one curiosity. I was trying to sigh and see this great sight, see why the bush is not burned up. Well, gracious, I would too. You know what grows on these scrubby, rocky hillsides around here, which are not totally unlike those around my forehead? Cedar bushes. Ever see a cedar catch fire? But it burns up. So if I saw one on fire and not burning up, I'd be filled with curiosity too. And like Moses, I'd probably want to see what was happening over there. But by the end of his life, I wonder if Moses wondered just how appropriate this manifestation of God was. That God would be known in something that burns continually. A fire that never dies to embers. That never dulls to cinders. That never cools to ashes. Moses got to see as he led the people, or at least as he tried to lead the people, God's passion for them would not die, even if more than once that passion would flame into frustration when the people would not do what they knew they were supposed to do, what they knew to be right, what they had even promised that they would do. Even if God's passion more than once flared into holy and divine anger, they because of their repeated disobedience, God never became lukewarm about this people. God's heart got broken more than once, but the flame of God's love never burned out. That fire burns within the heart of God. It burns for justice. It burns for righteousness. It burns for all of God's children to live in love with one another. All of God's creation to exist in harmony. In short, the passion of God, which is love, which never dies, which never grows cold, which is never extinguished, because Moses pained as well. Because being close to intense heat can be very uncomfortable. Many, many years after Moses, the great reformer Martin Luther would say, the goodness of God is nothing but burning love and a glowing oven full of love. That first hearing, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Frank and I am tired of complaining about the heat. I'm ready to complain about the cold. <laughs> and I can th think what I'm going to be doing when that cold comes. Because stacked outside my house, around the edge of the house on the eaves where it stayed dry, and I put tarpaulin over it, is two cords of oak and maple. I've already got warm once with that wood. Good warm. <laughs> Because I split wood the same way people split wood in Moses' day. Wedge in them all. But I'm looking forward to getting warm with that wood the second time, which could be cold. I'll build a fire, and I will sit down, and I will dare somebody to call me on the telephone. <laughs> they will hear words that they think preachers don't know. <coughs> but we do. So I contemplated that flame at first sounds cozy, sounds cutting, sounds nice, doesn't it? But I'm still not going to want to stick my hand too close to that bed of coals that will soon race the floor of my fireplace. Because getting too close to the fire, well, the burning love can burn. It's hard to live a life with such passion, with such intensity, with such heat, 
And Moses found that out as he tried to serve God and make God's love known to the people of Israel. Moses would also know the pain of such passion because his work was never done. A moment never came when Moses could say, well, okay, that job's done. I'll cross that one off the list. Every time Moses thought he had a job done, he found out he had to do the same thing all over again. Somebody else would mess up. Somebody else would raise the same question. Somebody else would raise the same objection. And Moses would have to do the same old job over again for somebody else. Moses followed God as Moses did what God demanded, as he spoke to God, as he showed the people the heart of God. The heart of Moses also was broken, was repeatedly broken and bruised and crushed. But never, not in this life, did Moses know the relief of a job that was finished of a people that were completely satisfied, of people who were completely righteous, of justice fully lived, of neighbors entirely loved, of commandments totally kept, of obedience utterly given, of a beloved community once and for all realized. Never once did you get that satisfaction. So yes, Moses came to see the bush curious about this great sight. By the end of his life, maybe he understood better than to follow such a God. Maybe he understood that to know to know that following that God meant heartbreak, to feel as though one had been burned, at least singed, if not scorched. It meant having to a lot of things in his own life, to be incinerated, to let them go to the flames as well. Let him what was worthless, unholy, unwholesome, be incinerated. It meant being tried and purified and refined as if by fire. It meant letting oneself be aglow with God's spirit, being rekindled and rekindled and rekindled, which frankly meant having a match put to the tender over and over again, and over and over again, and over and over yet again. Maybe Moses had an inkling of this, though, even at the outset, even as he was untying his sandals and holding his, hiding his face, because as soon as he saw that burning a fire, a flaming God, as soon as that great I am spoke to tell Moses where Moses was going to come into his plan, what did Moses do? We started firing off excuses. He gave four in very rapid fire succession. We only heard a couple of them from the day's reading. Go look for yourself, you can find the rest of them very quickly. I don't know enough. I'm not enough. People won't believe me or listen to me. I'm not a, I'm not a good enough speaker. And Moses finally popped them all off and said, send somebody else. Which basically is the same thing. God, I don't want to do this. And God sticks with Moses despite all that. God doesn't say, well, you're right. You're a loser. You don't want this job. What was I thinking? Put your shoes back on, Moses. Next. This Glowing oven full of love, God says, Go. It's not going to be easy for you. It's not going to be easy for me either. It's going to hurt both of us. But go. Now that's the nature of love, you see. Not to give up. Not to listen to just complaints, but to listen to the cries, the needs of the people. To do what needs to be done to set people free. To show them again and again what a holy, obedient life lived to the love of God and the love of one's neighbor looks like. So let's do this, says God. Let's get together on this, Moses. God 
God's not going to accept Moses' excuses. Maybe part of it was that God has a habit of choosing the most unlikely people, people whose power is clearly not from within themselves, to do God's work. Think about the number of people you have known who stood behind this pulpit. How many of them were not sort of strange, <laughs> odd kind of people? God well, seems to have a habit of choosing that sort of person, doesn't it? Every time I see someone come up for presbytery for ordination, and I think, that person can't do this job. <laughs> I say to myself, buddy, they said the same thing about you, I expect. <laughs> and I'm convinced at this point that I'm going to conduct the morning worship service on the day of my own funeral. <laughs> I have an ambition to deliver a funeral on the uh, to deliver a sermon on my 100th birthday. It also looks like I'm going to deliver it every Sunday between now. <laughs> so think about this for a moment. God tells Moses why God calls him. Now people are suffering, but Moses still won't go. He still is saying, I'm not, I can't, I don't, I won't. God's heart must have been broken by that response from Moses. One in God's being must have been seared anew when Moses said that. Because God had given Moses his life, he'd given him everything he needed. Well, think back to the story of Moses. Moses in the basket floating on the Nile River. Moses taken in by the daughter of Pharaoh. Moses' life saved as he was raised in the palace. Moses put in a position of authority over other people, helped his own people who were held as slaves. God had given Moses his life and everything he needed. And it was offering even more. And now when God asks him to do something, not just for God, but for Moses' own people, Moses says that he can't do that. But God loves him still. And he wants him to say something very simple. He wants Moses to respond, Here my Lord, send me. But no, says Moses, that had to hurt God's heart a lot. But God's burning love still would not go out. And at the end of the encounter, Moses would go, and he would feel his own heart singed and seared and scarred because of God's unquenchable love. Moses would come to learn that this is not an easy thing to do. It's not something a weak or a dull person can do. And although a blazing fire can be awesome, it can also be quite terrifying. You've seen the pictures of wildfires that now are in Hawaii, in Oregon, in California, in Louisiana. Fire can be inspiring, be comforting, it can also be terrifying, much more so fearful and glorious. And when Jesus reveals God's uncontainable love more decisively, Jesus shows it to us not in something that cools and soothes and calms, but Jesus showed us that love on the cross. Jesus would show God's unrestrained love not in pyrotechnics, not by calling down fire on his opponents by suffering himself. To follow our fire, a flaming God of unquenchable love, he says we must pick up our own cross and walk the way of love. Walk the way of love following him. In the 12th chapter of Romans, Paul tells us about this. Genuine love is to hate what is evil, be devoted to what is good, Show a familial love for one another, not do one another in showing honor, and being unflagging in energy, and being aglow with the spirit, 
serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, remaining steadfast in suffering, persisting in prayer, sharing in the needs of the saints, striving to show hospitality to strangers. We're going to read the whole passage for yourself. Commit it to memory, if you would. Use it as a checklist, a litmus test, a thermometer to check your own temperature. The way of love that reflects God's passion. Brilliant, big, and not easy. It's a way of life that you might want to be more eager to douse and dampen, make innocuous and dim, rather than risk the kind of pain that comes with being set ablaze. Yet despite what we might prefer, God flames all. Our nature, does it share God's pain? Does it reflect God's ardor? Does it reflect God's intensity? Or do we hasten to put our shoes back on and hurry along, pretending we never saw that burning bush, we never heard that call, we never sat at the foot of the cross, we never wondered what kind of God loves us like this? We're standing on holy ground. What's our response to be? Let's pray. Speak to us, Lord, we may hear. Strengthen us, we may respond. Encourage us, we may persevere. In Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Stand